I read a book a few months ago that was impactful and I'm continuing to try to apply it in my life. And it's called um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's somewhat, it's become pretty, pretty popular. It's a, it's a red book, so it's hard to miss too, just visually. So you probably have heard about it or maybe read it. Highly recommended. Um, and he starts just by talking, maybe even in the, in the prologue, about <clears throat> how Dallas Willard, so he was mentored by a guy that's mentored by, was mentored by the, the now deceased uh, Dallas Willard. He was a philosophy professor at, at University of uh, Southern California, but known by Christians, if known at all, as, as a Christian author of just popular Christian works. Um, but he was actually kind of like C.S. Lewis by day. His, his trade was he was a professor. Um, anyway, very wise man, love the Lord, a deep thinker and true, true Christian and, and true Christian practitioner, which <laughs> there shouldn't be a distinction. Right. Uh, and, and, and John Mark Comer, the author of this, um, this book on uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry. His mentor once asked Willard, look, if you had one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? And Willard said, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't gone back to look at this, but Willard said, without hesitation, he said, relaxed. Now, first of all, that's astonishing. I would never, ever use that one. If I had one word, I would say loving or, you know, I don't know, courageous or something righteous. I would not have ever chosen relax. So it's, it arrested, um, the guy that he was speaking with his mentee and, and, but I agree with Comer in saying that maybe even a better word, I hesitate to say that Willard could have used a better word because he, he chose his words carefully, but unhurried, relaxed kind of sometimes has connotations to it that I don't think we would maybe want to attach to Jesus, but unhurried is the word that Comer sort of uses man. And that's true. Jesus was never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. And, and I mean, I'm not going to sit here and unpack that a lot because that's not the point of this, of this message. And it's, it is the point of McComer's book, which you should read. But, you know, Jesus was on his father's timetable and he always had time for people. To love a person is to love God. Because we're made, he made us in his image. And so whatever we do for, for the least of these, we do for him. And, and so Jesus always had time for the person in front of him. And Comer says a bunch of stuff. One of the things he says is, look, you really can't love and be in a hurry at the same time. And that's why I bring up. So I, that's why I bring it up, because. Our, we're in a series, we're finishing a series today um, that is, it's been a three-week series on, called Life Together, which we as a sojourn uh, family of churches do every fall together. We preach at the same things every week. And this week, we, this week, this, this series, we're preaching through our five Sojourn Houston values. And, and the last one is, is today, and it's compassion. Um, now, we've talked about family and local ministry, and then last week, saturation and simplicity, and, and, and today is, is finally compassion. Um, but I bring up, 
I bring up that story that Jesus was never hurried. He was unhurried. Uh, because, again, you cannot be in a hurry and be loving or be full, filled with compassion. It's just almost impossible. Um, so Jesus took time to love, and loving takes time. And you have to get dirty, and you have to roll your sleeves up, and you have to be willing to be stopped. Um, and so that's that's a huge problem because, um, as, we'll, as we'll dive into some, compassion, which is the topic of the message today and our focus, is, is the number one emotion that's, that's ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels, the number one emotion. It's ascribed to him more than any other emotion. He was filled with compassion when he saw hurting people um, like sheep without a shepherd. And if he was that way, if that marked him, then it ought to mark us because we, we bear his name, Christians, Christ. And we, he is in us. If indeed we say we're Christians, he is, if we, if you are a Christian, he's alive in you. That's what animates you. It's what makes, to marks you out as different. That's what makes you different. You are born, you've been born again, born anew with his spirit through faith in him and his work. So, um, it marked him more than anything else we might say. And so it has, it has to mark us as a people, but our culture is the most hurried culture in the history of the world. And, and hurry basically militates against and negates compassion. And that's a huge problem. So why do I bring that up? Because last week we focused on how we want to see are there our geographies um, owned. We want to see the lostness in our geographies owned for the gospel, for, for Jesus and his kingdom. And we want to take responsibility for those and, and saturate them with our, with our presence by multiplying disciples and parishes and, and house churches and, and, and churches and church plants. Um, and that requires simplicity. That requires simplifying and saying no to a bunch of things so that we can say yes to people and yes to pouring our lives into them and yes to following Jesus with them and, and yes to slowing down. Um, and yes, ultimately to, to knowing him and making him known and enjoying him. And, and, um, and of course, that's directly related. That, that slowing that's required for simplicity and saturation is directly related to, to compassion, as I said. So um, it's worth reading, <coughs> excuse me, our little text here, Matthew 9, 35 and following. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom <coughs> and healing every disease and every affliction. So notice his ministry is he's preaching constantly and he's also touching and healing and delivering from demonic oppression Constantly. So it's a it's a it's a ministry not just a proclamation, which ours can tend to be. Although we've ceased even in the American church to really to become proclaimers. We just sort of live and hope that people will somehow catch Christianity from us like they might catch smallpox or chicken pox or the flu. Um, but but in the past, conservative Christians has been have been guilty of proclaiming the gospel but not demonstrating it. So to believe to show mercy to 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 give to be radically generous to give of what we have to those that are less fortunate to tend to others that need tending to um, but also to believe in things like demons and demonic oppression and to know how to pray against those sorts of things and and fight against those sorts of things and that we have authority against the demonic realm over the demonic realm in jesus name and to realize that that's that's a problem as much as emotional illnesses or physical illnesses 
Um, and then also to, um, to believe in healing, to believe in physical healing as well. And that, that's not, that's a, those, those are all parts of compassion and parts of what our ministry should look like, but that's a sidebar. It's not the focus. Okay. So the text goes on. So he was ministering, uh, he was proclaiming, he was demonstrating the kingdom and the good news of the kingdom. Verse 36 of Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he had, here's the word, here's the light bolt, as the Germans say. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what happens when he sees, why does he have compassion? Because he sees them and they are harassed and helpless. They're downtrodden. They're, um, they, they are uh, in, a, in a bad way. And that evokes not just a feeling from him, but a feeling that leads to action. Um, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So his response when he, when he sees suffering in sin is compassion. Um, like I said, it's the number one emotion ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels. The Greek is splagknizomai. Splagknizomai. Why do I say that sort of difficult, strange word to you in the Greek? Because it's an onomatopoeia. It sounds like it means. The literal meaning of this word is to tug the guts. A cognate uh, Greek word is means spleen. And it's used by Homer, the Greek poet, um, nine times, always referring to the entrails of sacrificial animals. So, so literally, it comes from the word guts. Um, and, we, and we know the feeling, right? When you, um, when you get hit in the stomach or gut punched about something terribly unjust or sad or evil that you've seen or that you've heard about, that you've witnessed, um, your heart just runs out to meet the person that's being persecuted, that's suffering, that's being sinned against. Your stomach turns. And that's, that's exactly what we read about in the Gospels and what we read about here. Uh, it's what Jesus felt and feels, and then it's what he acts on um, when that feeling arises in him, when he sees his image bearers suffering and wandering and lost. Um, Thomas Goodwin, well, uh, let, me, let me say this. Thomas Goodwin was a Puritan. Um, more recently, much more recently, last year, Dane Ortland wrote a book that is now, even, even now, a year later, is sort of already a, a modern classic, sort of written in a Puritan strain, it's a 200-page exposition of, of three verses, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. The only time that Jesus talks about his own heart, the only time he mentions explicitly his own heart, um, and he calls himself gentle, gentle and lowly. And the book's called Gentle and Lowly by Orland. And he kind of popularizes um, and, then, and then sort of elaborates on the Puritan Thomas Goodwin's thesis um, based on, he basically just unpacks these verses, but Thomas Goodwin his thrust in unpacking these verses is that uh, most of us, when we see sin or suffering, someone embroiled in them, we run the other way or walk quickly the other way or cross the road proverbially to the other side or just sort of silently fade out of the picture. Um, Jesus is the opposite. God, his character is such that he, his, his heart actually beats faster when he sees people, um, in the midst of suffering and sin. And he moves towards that, like, uh, like firefighters toward a fire when the rest of us just run away. Um, 
even when it's our fault, even when we've grabbed hold of suffering with both hands because of our own sin, he moves towards us with compassion. That's what this word means. That's why Jesus is described so often in this way. And it's what the incarnation means. The incarnation is that very thing with flesh on. It's it's God coming not only toward our suffering and sin, but stepping into it and putting it on like, like a shirt. Wearing it. Wearing our sin. 2 Corinthians 5. 21 um, to save us and we might say yeah but you know that's that's jesus that compassion characterizes jesus the most but not not the old testament god the old testament god is a rager he's wrathful um he is wrathful against sin that's part of his compassion though um the locus classicus the central sort of text the classic text of the old testament about what who God really is, what makes him tick, and what he is at his core, at his heart, conveys this very thing. It's in Exodus 33 and 34, and Moses is is tells God, I want to see what what you I want to see you. Fully revealed, I want to see who you really are. And so to cut the matter very short, God obliges Moses and he reveals himself and he says about that in Exodus 33:19, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show, here's the word, mercy, on whom I will show mercy. That word is the Old Testament version of, of splechnizomai in the Greek. Um, Exodus 34, 6, the next chapter. So in that chapter, God says, okay, Moses, I'll cause all my goodness to pass for you. What is my goodness? Who am I really? I'm merciful. Now, the next chapter, he says this. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God. What's the first word he uses? Merciful. It's the same word. And it, it, um, it is the word in the Hebrew that uh, for a woman's womb is the word that is, is, what, is what that word comes from. It's the word for a woman, the womb of a woman, perhaps the most tender place in the human body, a place of protection a place of life and a place of nurture. And that is the, the first word in his, in the sort of locus classicus in the Old Testament of God saying, here's what makes me tick. Here's what I'm like. I'm like down deep. I'm, I'm merciful. I'm full of tenderness and mercy and nurturing and protection for those I love. And it, um, and so, of course, when Jesus steps on the scene, when God comes to us as a human, the, of course, the most, uh, the thing most, the emotion most ascribed to him is this very thing, this tender compassion that breaks, whose guts are churned at the sight of his people suffering. I mean, you know, when you see your kids getting abused or taken advantage of, um, my, my wife just yesterday, that, that happens to you, right? Uh, and so we can, we can, even we who are evil can understand this is how God is perfectly. Um, my wife yesterday saw our daughter at the lunch table at school, which we don't often get to see, right? But she took lunch to him and she was kind of observing. And my daughter had been, had been, um, sat, uh, seated. Is that the right word? Had been seated, um, by the teacher. There's a seating chart. And so she was having to sit next to all boys and this girl that, um, that kept her mask on while she was eating. 
and the rest of her friends, all my daughter's friends were at another table. And that's just, I mean, that's not even bad, right? That's just a bit unfortunate, but it made me, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't tug my, it didn't turn my stomach, but it definitely hurt. Like I was physically pained when I heard that, that my, my dear daughter, I mean, lunch should be fun. Lunch should be time with your friends, right? And yeah, we talked to our kids about, this is a sidebar, but go, you go find the person that's sitting alone and go be a friend to them. But like lunch should be fun and you should be the one going to them. You shouldn't have to be, you know, assigned to be with a bunch of, anyway, boys, but away from your friends. But um, it, it just, it's hurt me. So that that's a tiny, weak picture of how God feels when, when we are sitting in our own sin and suffering um, and, when, and when things are being done to us that hurt us, right? Um, when God saw the suffering of his people in, in Egyptian slavery, his stomach turned, his guts were tugged. And, and we see that when he comes to Moses, when, it, when, when the commentary is made of him, that he saw, he saw the suffering of his people. He heard their cries and he knew, he knew. Um, but he left them there. He left them there for 400 years. Um, and when they, but the, he didn't forget about them. And sometimes we can feel like God has forgotten about us, but, but in the right time, in the fullness of time, when things are ripe, uh, in his perfect time, he comes and he has done that in the person of his son, Jesus. Um, the old Testament God and the new Testament God are one God. They're the same God. They, Jesus is the one creator God. That's the, one of the main messages of the Old Testament. He, the creator God, the God of the Old Testament, the God of creation, the God of Genesis 1, has come to live with us and to save us uh, and to die on a cross for us and to rise again to a new kind of life, to start creation anew. Um, so the Father, they're the same God. There's only one God. There's no division between the two. That's a heresy. The Father sent his Son to live for us, and his life, and Jesus' life was marked by compassion which should not surprise us if we know the Old Testament God. So, so was his death. His death was, of course, marked by compassion, um, something the Father put the Son forward to accomplish, Romans 3.25. So in his life and in his death, Jesus demonstrates, Romans 3.26, he demonstrates the very heart of God the Father, the God who revealed himself to Moses, the Old Testament God, the only God. Um, I'm going to read a text from Isaiah 58, God's heart of compassion for the downtrodden. It says this, it says, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless, poor, into your house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up 
for the found, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets dwelling. God's heart is for us not just to feel compassion, but to act on it, right? <laughs> not just to talk about <coughs> fasting and afflicting ourselves just for religious reasons, right? But to actually take, um, take action and to take what we would be spending on ourselves and to go use that to clothe and to feed and to take care of those who aren't taking care of themselves. Um, what else do I want to say here? Jesus came to accomplish this great desire of God to not only feel as God feels, but to act as God would act if he were human. In Christ, God was and remains human. And Christ is in us and we are and we are his. Um, Splagnizomai, compassion, serves as the turning point of the parables of the prodigal son and the unforgiving servant. Uh, prodigal sons in Luke 15 and the unforgiving servant is in Matthew 18. Uh, the Lord and Father is in each case, he's full of mercy and he gives mercy in place of, of well-deserved judgment. But uh, I'm quoting here from a theological dictionary. In both parables, this verb, splagnitomai, uh, makes the unbounded mercy of God visible. The, the unforgiving servant is shown mercy, but he manifestly withholds it from a fellow servant resulting in uh, the righteous and furious judgment of the master. Um, similarly, the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 demonstrates, again, Splagnizomai, through his attitude of complete, I'm quoting here, through his, quote, attitude of complete willingness to use all available means for saving at the crucial moment. But the clergy don't, and, and instead they distance themselves from the man in need, the, 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 the professional Christians, right? Um, they dis they literally walk across the street, distancing themselves from from somebody in need. And I just want to ask you. I want to ask us as a church, which are we more like when we see people in need? Beyond, we have to be honest here. If there's if there's to be progress, if there's to be um, embracing compassion more in our lives as a body, if there's to be repentance. When we see people in need, are we more characterized? by a, quote, complete willingness to use all available means for saving at the crucial moment? Or do we distance ourselves? Do we close our blinds? Do we close our doors? Do we close our wallets, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts? Which which are we more prone to? And I can, well, I'm often more prone to the latter. And I, I need to repent, and we need to repent. Um, because because God is a God of compassion, and 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 we are His people, and He is in us, and He has called us to be a people of compassion. Which is why this is our fifth and final. Um, I was going to say virtue, value, of Sojourn Houston, and we want to live into it. So 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 speaking of living, how how do we then live? And hopefully, in our house churches, we can take some time just to repent and to ask God to to make us more like this, because He will. There are certain prayer, prayers that you can pray that you know God will answer because they're his will and this is one of them. Lord, make us more compassionate. He will. He will. Um, now, he may he will put us in situations that require that and that, that work on us. It's not a magic wand. 
it's Christ in us, yes, but it's Christ in us in the real world. Um, and so we're going to have to get dirty. We're going to have to be inconvenienced. We're going to have to give in ways that are sacrificial that, that mean that we won't be able to take the holidays we want to, perhaps, or buy the things we want to buy. And I say this the very day that my wife and I are trying to buy a, a truck for her. So, yeah, you still got to buy stuff. Yeah, you still got to get away as a family. But um, this kind of this kind of compassion will cut into our conveniences. It'll cut into our lifestyles. Um, and, and uh, you know, God's lifestyle was cut into a bit, don't you think, for our sakes? Because he had compassion on us. He was willing to be literally cut into to, to, uh, to demonstrate his compassion to us. And thank God he did. So to sort of go back to the, the first verse I read in Matthew 9, 35, we, we do, how should we then live, right? A few practicals. We need a full-fledged gospel ministry, um, not just the proclamation of the gospel and word, which we do need, we do need, and we need to do more of, but also indeed. So inconveniencing ourselves, reaching out, bringing people into our lives, into our homes, listening, sharing a meal, um, giving more of not our money, but God's money that he's allowed us to steward. Um, yeah, a ministry of, of deli demonic deliverance, ministries of healing, living into all that, believing all that, believing that it's for today. Um, his kingdom has come um, already, but, but it's not yet fully manifest and it won't be fully manifest until until he returns, right? So we live in the midst of this sort of, um, these, these shadow lands, like, like C.S. Lewis said. The, the, the sun has, has risen, um, but uh, with healing in his wings, but um, the full day has not yet dawned, right? Um, so we live as, as a people with hope, but yet still broken and still in a broken world. Um, partnerships, we are, how are we going to live into this as a church? We want to, we're going to, um, we are going to revamp our partnerships and we are going to probably pick about five categories in which we really categories that we feel led to as a people that most of which will probably be local Galleria specific. Um, maybe picking one out of the five or so that might be a global partnership or a, a bucket of global partnerships, plural, but things like orphans and foster care, um, and we'll almost certainly par partner there with um, with Drew and Amber Knowles, who are over at Sojourn Oak Forest, and their their great ministry, fostering family uh, for that, and um, you know refugees and immigrants, and um, perhaps schools in the area, and and there 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 are some others, and we're gonna put the put these things out before you, and then and then put uh, ask each of you to get involved in at least to involve yourself in at least one to give time and money to at least one of those and, uh, and to really invest in our communities um, and to really events and act on our uh, com godly compassion for those that, that, uh, that, that are worthy of our compassion and that have God's compassion. And so as his body, we are, we're privileged to be able to do that. We want to, we want to advance into those partnerships and we're going to call it for the love of Galleria. We're following, we're following Montrose, Sojourn Montrose, they call theirs for the love of, of Montrose and sort of um, turn the key on that this summer. And we're going to do that this fall, God willing. So um, again, though, just to kind of return as, as we, as we draw to begin to draw to a close um, to, to this compassion, it's not just a feeling, right? But it's, but it's action that's impelled by feeling. 
Um, again, this theological dictionary that I quoted from says humanity and neighborliness, and it's talking, it's commentating on on the the, the biblical <clears throat> description of these things, <coughs> as embraced by God in Christ and 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 the church, um, God's people. Humanity and neighborliness are not abstract qualities. Uh, they're not abstract qualities. They involve concrete action. Right. Um, the Sojourn Houston Handbook says that the word compassion is derived from a Latin word meaning to suffer with. In terms of loving the marginalized in our neighborhoods, mere sympathy falls short. We are called to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2. Like Jesus, Christians enter into the pain and suffering of this world in order to care for the orphans and widows, to set the captives free, to bring healing and redemption to all that's broken. This is a costly, self-sacrificial type of love, but it's characteristic of the kingdom of God. Our king is just and merciful, and we have the joy and honor of manifesting his character for the sake of those in need. We're committed to addressing the toughest social issues facing the city of Houston, and we're committed to planting new congregations in under-resourced neighborhoods. So what does Jesus tell us to do about the things around us that tug our guts, that, that provoke compassion? Um, he tells us to pray, right? He says, in response to, to his reaction and to his ministry, and to having his guts tug, what does he say? Does he get out there and do more? No, he says, he says, pray. He says, look out the harvest. There's so, the fields are white for harvest. In other words, there's so much need. <clears throat> what should evoke our greatest compassion is those that are, that are lost, that are still refusing Christ, have never heard of Christ and the good news, have never been offered it, have never had the gospel articulated. They're lost. They're heading to hell. They're outside of fellowship with their creator and savior. That should evoke our greatest compassion. Um, to see, to see the lost, to see those who are suffering, um, whether because of their sin or someone else's or just because of the brokenness of the world. Um, what's our response? It's to pray that God would send laborers out to the harvest and to pray that we could be those and to go and to preach the gospel and to make disciples who go on to make more disciples um, and, and to pray and to pray and to pray that God would raise up laborers for the harvest fields. That's what Jesus says we ought to do in response um, to seeing, to seeing suffering and brokenness around us. Um, again, Jesus was willing not just to get dirty, but to suffer with us and to suffer because of our suffering. And he calls us to do the same. So um, we want to move toward people. As, as Jesus does and with Jesus in us as his body. We want to get out of our comfort zones, our perceived security. Um, Jesus, the ultimate comfort zone was is heaven. And that's where Jesus was with his father, safe, secure, rich beyond imagining, um, not compelled by any outside force. But because of who he is, he left all that for a time to enter into our misery and to rescue us. Um, and so, and so may we do the same. So, so working on our lists, and this is part of our discipleship initiative, but working on our lists of a hundred of those who are lost around us, um, making those lists, praying over those people, beginning to act on reaching out to them through the BLESS acronym, you know, B, begin with prayer, L, listen to them in conversation, um, you know, carve out time to actually hear from them, E, eat with them, share a meal, S, serve them, and then, and then finally, um, the final S, 
in the BLESS acronym, uh, share, share your story with them and, and in that share the gospel with them. So um, our goal is needs to be, I want to, and this is my challenge as I close, to begin opening, literally opening our doors to our neighbors, um, putting them on the calendar, being intentional about that instead of just um, comfortably going about our business week to week. Um, so the goal I want to put before us is to have a neighbor over, one neighbor over or one family over per week or minimum every two weeks. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, or every two weeks. So every one week or every two weeks, minimum one person or or family over per month. So just be systematic about it. Be intentional. Be uh, calendar it, plan it, make it happen. Be prayerful about it. Um, so let's consider sort of an in closing how we might simplify our lives to make room in them and in our hearts for compassion. Uh, to take from Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis toward the end of his sermon on the weight of glory, um, next to the sacrament, your neighbor is the holiest thing presented to your senses. People are infinitely valuable. More, way more, Lewis says, than an entire civilization as a thing. One single person is of the highest value. <clears throat> God died for his image bearers. Uh, and as Justin likes to say, we're worth, we are worth what someone is willing to pay for us. And he gave himself for us. And therefore, in the incarnation, in the crucifixion, he, he placed on us the highest worth and value. So would that our lives could bear testimony to that much, to that much worth in people, in our neighbors, in those around us? Um, would that compassion would increasingly flow from us and characterize us. Lord, would you make it so for your glory and for the salvation of many. Amen.